and welcome to What the Actual F. My name is Harmony and I'm your host. A few of you got to listen to a podcast yesterday that I released and then took down within the hour. So if you got to listen to that, yay. But I'm sorry that so many of you didn't get to. There was some audio issues and I just had to take it down so I can re-record it in the future. But to those of you that got to listen to it, shh, no spoilers for the future. Okay? Okay, thank you. Now with that, I did have to get a case put together to give you today. I had already kind of been working on this case as I've had so many emails come in on like some things that I should look into, mysteries and cases. And this one was actually sent to me as a recommendation to watch a documentary. And I did. Now to this person, I know you asked me not to say your name and I won't, but I just wanted to say thank you for recommending me to check out this documentary because I did. I spent hours getting so much information, digging clips up just to bring you today's episode. So thank you. I am so excited and I really hope that you guys will be as sucked into this case as I am. Today we are going to talk about Hey Min Lee. This case is very, very, very frustrating. There is so much information and at the same time, not a lot of information seems to really add up. Another thing that's very frustrating about this case, at least for me, is that the person that is in jail for the crime is doing life plus 30 years on a lot of, well, circumstantial evidence. There are people out there that have mounds of evidence against them for heinous crimes and they are walking free. So it confuses me and very much angers me that this case played out the way that it has. With that, I'm going to go ahead and begin to tell you about the tragic murder of Heyman Lee. This book is open to those whose heart is innocent. If you feel any guilt reading this, you should stop. This book is full of my expression. This may make you angry, happy, mad, or cry. So do enter at your own risk. Dedicated to those who I love and love me back. Do love and remember me forever. Since I'll always love you all. Heyman Lee was born in South Korea in 1980 and immigrated with her mother, Young Kim, and her brother, Young Lee, to the United States in 1992 to live with her grandparents. Hay was a senior at Woodlawn High School in Baltimore County, Maryland. Hay was very well-liked and very active playing sports in her school. She was considered very responsible by those that knew her. So on January 13, 1999, Hay was supposed to pick up her younger cousin from daycare when she got out of school around 3.15 p.m. When Hay failed to arrive at the school to pick up her cousin, the school then notified her family, who immediately reported Hay as missing. Police say a passerby found her remains two days ago in Leakin Park. Investigators say her body was partially buried approximately 100 yards off the roadway. They identified Lee from her clothing and personal belongings. Police are investigating this case as a homicide. A few weeks later, on February 9th, 1999, Hay's body was found in a big park called Lakin Park in Baltimore. This park actually looks more like a forest than a park to me. It's just kind of a sea of trees with some greenery in the middle. 
but it's very, very big and actually separates Baltimore County from Baltimore City. Alonzo Sellers, a maintenance man who, while on his way into work, had to stop to pee. And as he was looking for the right area to do so, he states that he saw a bit of black hair poking out what looked like a shallow grave. This is when Alonzo realizes that that might be a body and he immediately alerts the police and this is exactly what it was. It was Hay Min Lee's body and she had been manually strangled, as in with somebody's bare hands. Okay, so when I read that it was manual strangulation, I immediately went to Google and I was like, okay, question, um, if you manually strangle someone, is that considered a crime of passion? With that being said, I'm like 100% sure I am officially on a government watch list due to my Google history. But I just wanted to check in and see if this could help us get a better perspective because choking, it turns out, especially with one's bare hands, is largely considered a crime of passion, often done by someone close to the victim, even someone more likely to have been in an intimate relationship with the victim. Bare hand strangulation is very rarely done by a random murderer. It's often done, as I said, by an intimate, close relationship or a serial killer. I think I may have discovered my bad hand making pot. Mr. Sellers, please step all the way up to the witness stand, please. All the way up here. Listen to Mrs. Gutierrez, who has some questions for you. Mr. Sellers, let me direct your attention back to February the 9th, 1999. Do you recall that day? I don't recall that day. I don't know what you said. Well, sir, you recall the day that you found the body. Yes, okay, I'll call that. That was a pretty important day for you, was it not? If you explain that, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. Okay, now, on that day, you left your work in Coppin St. Colbert's? Yeah. You traversed from Coppin to your home by way of Franklin Town Road. Oh, yes, I traveled that way, yeah. And that's an area where there aren't any houses. It's just woods? I guess it is. It's a park. Initially, police looked into Alonzo as a suspect until an anonymous call came in on February 16th to the Baltimore police suggesting that they should focus on Hayes' ex-boyfriend, Ednan Saeed. And this call is what completely changes the case forever. A few weeks after Hayes' body had been found, Ednan Saeed was arrested for murder. He has been in prison ever since. I just want to throw in an interjection here. As I was looking into this case, doing research, watching every and all things that I could on it, I have to say that this case really would throw me. 
it would just kind of push me one way and then another. And then I would start to feel unsure as it seems that it's very possible that the wrong guy, Adnan, is in jail for this crime. There is a reason for doubt. However, it also seems that maybe they have the right guy. You don't go in all areas in Baltimore. There's a few areas you stay in, and there's some areas if you don't need to go into that area, you don't. When I was growing up, some people would like use fake addresses to get out of city schools and come into Woodlawn. Baltimore County is known to be full of working class people. A lot of immigrants move their families there. They want to get away from the city. As the city itself is just on the other side of Leakin Park, and it's a very different place altogether than Baltimore County. Anon lived in Baltimore County with his family. He was known to be a good kid, extremely smart, handsome, and very well liked in the community. So when Anon was arrested for Hay's murder, many of the students and friends of his who went to Woodlawn were shocked. Many, except for one, Jay Wilds. Jay was a friend and a classmate of Adnan and Hay, as well as a petty high school drug dealer. So why did Adnan's arrest not affect Jay like it did everybody else? That's because it was his testimony that had him arrested and would ultimately secure Adnan's conviction for Hay's murder. Because wouldn't you know, according to Jay, he helped Adnan dispose of Hay's body. April 1st, 1998. I got this today at Monet exhibit from the French field trip. I thought it would be cool to write stuff in here about my life. So I guess I would just start with my life so far. Why? Because my life won't be considered typical to most. Okay, let's back this up a little bit. See, Adnan Syed was considered to be a golden child in his community. He was a working EMT on the honor roll in school. He also played football. He ran track and was junior prom prince. On top of all of that, he would also lead prayers at the mosque. In the community, his friends and family's eyes, it truly seemed like Anand was going to do something big with his life, that he was really going to go places. Do you remember what happened that day? Yes, I do. Um, at first, we knew something was wrong. And we got a call from my cousin's teacher asking us to pick her out from school. This was strange because it was my sister's job. Do you know about what time you received the phone call that Hay had not picked up your cousins? Around 3.30. What if anything happened next? I called my sister's workplace, her best friend, Aisha, and I called the school. Before we can truly decide if Adnan is guilty or not, we need to go over the events of what happened. Because the only people who know the truth are Hay and her killer. We can only go on what we know. So let's start with what was presented in court. Now according to the state's case against Adnan, him and Hay had been dating since junior prom. But Adnan wasn't supposed to be dating at all. See, Anand was born in the U.S., but his parents were from Pakistan, and they were conservative Muslims. Which means that Anand's parents believed that he was not drinking or smoking, definitely didn't have a girlfriend, as none of these things were allowed. Rabia, a longtime friend and advocate for Anand's freedom, says that her family was the exact same way, as their families were friends. 
They grew up in the same culture, and just as many other teens in the area, their parents didn't stop them from doing what they wanted to do. They just had to be sneaky as to not get caught. Which means that Hay's and Anand's relationship was kept secret, something Hay even mentioned in her journal, and this really bothered her. The state used this against Anand, stating that he put everything on the line, risking losing his family, relationships at the mosque, all for this girl, who when she ultimately ended up breaking up with him, he was left with nothing and was completely infuriated by this. So he couldn't handle it and he just ended up killing her. I just sometimes wish like they could like look into my brain and see how I really felt about her. And, and no matter what else someone would say, they would see, man, this guy had no had no ill will towards it. Whatever the motivation is to kill someone, I had absolutely, it didn't exist in me, you know what I mean? No one can ever say why. People can say why. Oh man, he was mad, this, that, or the other, but no one can ever come with any type of proof or anecdote or anything to ever say that I was ever mad at her, that I was ever angry with her, that I ever threatened her. You know, that's the only thing I can really hold on to. And it's like my only firm handhold in this whole thing is that no one's ever been able to prove it. No one ever has been able to provide any shred of evidence that it had, it had anything but friendship towards it, like love and respect for her. You see, Anand's family was completely unaware that he did drink, that he was smoking weed, and that he was having sex, which was all brought up in the prosecution's closing arguments. They used all of this to state that Anand was guilty, while those close to Anon say that this doesn't show that he's capable of murder, it just shows that he was raised by immigrant parents. When Anon and I would hang out, mostly we'd meet at the mosque and then just do little dumb things that teenagers do, drive around in car playing loud music or something. We both had girlfriends, and we had girlfriends that were our high school girlfriends. We weren't able to have them come over our house and hang out. However, we were able to hang out with them in school after school, Friday, Saturday, go to the movies and whatnot. Even though prosecutors used his secret life as a motive, friends of Adnan state that this was actually very common in his friends group. That many of them had these sort of secret lives and they hid things from their parents and family. Syed, a friend of Adnan's, had even stated that he hid that he was homecoming king from his family because he wasn't even allowed to attend dances. Okay, okay, I hear you. Oh, Harmony, what about physical evidence? You know, they can't just bring a case stating that he liked to lie to hide his life because he was raised by these parents, right? Like, there's got to be physical evidence tying him to this case. Okay, let me tell you all about that because it's going to blow your mind. Actually, I can't tell you about that because there is no physical evidence linking Adnan to the crime. Not really. See, there were some fingerprints in Hay's car, which Adnan had been in several times because they had dated. However, there wasn't anything physically linking him to the crime itself. And I mean nothing. No DNA, no fibers, no hairs like the ones that Alonzo said that he saw when he discovered the body. None. But you know what they did have? The full story. The whole truth. At least according to Jay. So Jay was a friend of Anand for a while. They weren't super close, at least according to Jay. They had a few mutual friends in common, and they would just kind of smoke weed together and shoot the shit. I do want to point out that Jay couldn't seem to keep his story straight, and it doesn't seem to match from the very first one to what he says now. But the key points of his story were able to be matched up with cell phone records that were traced back to Anand's phone. 
Now let's talk about these cell phone records because in the first podcast that this case was really talked about in Serial, they were mentioned. The reliability though of the cell phone's evidence was first called into question in the aftermath of the Serial podcast. This was done on a follow-up podcast of Undisclosed. You see, when AT&T had sent the information over, on the cover sheet that came with a non-subscriber report, it stated that incoming calls are not reliable for determining location. Well, Jay's statement heavily relied on these two calls, two calls that placed Adnan and Leakin Park at the same time when Jay said that he was there with him, helping Adnan bury Hayes' body. These two calls, however, the two in question, they were incoming calls. The state's cell tower expert at trial was not made aware of these instructions during his testimony. In fact, they were only brought to his attention in 2015 after which he wrote an affidavit for Saeed's defense counsel, essentially retracting the trial testimony. In an interview with Intercept, Kevin Urich, the prosecutor for Adnan's 2000 trial, said that on their own, neither Jay's testimony nor the cell phone evidence would have been enough to prove that Adnan was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. As Jay never claimed he actually saw Adnan kill Hay, but he only claims to have helped her bury the body. This is a taped interview of Jay Blackmail, 19 years of age, we're at the offices of homicide, specifically the Colonel's conference room. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you know about the death of Hay Lee? Okay. Um, had, uh, my father went shopping with a friend of mine, an ex-friend of mine, and uh, we had had a conversation. Um, during the conversation, he stated um, that he was going to kill that bitch, referring to Haley. Um, he left the mall. I took him to school. I dropped him off in the back of the school. <clears throat> he went up to class. He left his cell phone and car with me. He told me he'd call me. Um, I went back to my friend Jen's house and waited for him to call. At this point, you know why he's leaving the car with you? Yes. And why is that? Because he said he was going to kill Hay. And the reason you have the car and the cell phone was why? To pick him up from wherever he was going to do this. And you had talked about this while you were shopping that day? The details of uh, the car and all? The events, how they were going to plan out. He, he, the, 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 that day he told me, yes, he told me, um, I'm going to leave you with my cell phone and my car. I need you to come get me. Yes. After he had killed Hay, yes. On February 28, 1999, Adnan was arrested from his home where he had been sleeping and taken right to the police station where he was immediately interrogated. But just hours before they arrested Adnan, police had been interviewing Jay. In Jay's interview, he states that he didn't really take Adnan's talking of killing Hay too seriously. He states that on the morning of the 13th, Adnan left school and came over to his house. Jay was a year older and had graduated the year before. January 13th was also the birthday of Jay's girlfriend at the time of Hay's disappearance, Stephanie. So because it was Stephanie's birthday, he needed to buy her a gift. Anon had then ended up going shopping with him at the mall, at least in the initial story. Jay states that when they left the mall, he took Anon back to school and that he dropped him off in the back of the school. He said that Anon left his cell phone in Jay's car. I'm sorry, in the car. It wasn't Jay's car. It was Anon's car. So he left the phone with Jay, and then 
This was so that Anon could call Jay on his cell phone to let him know when he was done. Once Jay drops Anon off at school, he then goes to his friend Jen's house, where he waits for Anon to call. You receive a phone call from Adnan? Yeah. On his cell phone? Yeah. Which is in your possession? Yeah. And the conversation was what? Um, that bitch is dead. Come and get me. I'm at Best Buy. I noticed that he wasn't with him. Um, I parked next to him. He asked me to get out of the car. I get out of the car. He asked me, am I ready for this? Um, and I say, ready for what? And he uh, takes the keys, he opens the trunk, and all I can see is, uh, like, his lips are all blue, and she's, like, pretzeled up in the back of the trunk, and she's dead. So after Jay arrives at Best Buy, he sees that Hay is in Adnan's trunk, and she isn't alive. They then leave Best Buy with Adnan driving Hay's Nissan, with her body in the trunk of her own car. While Jay drives Adnan's car behind him, they drop Hay's car at the I-70 park and ride. And then according to Jay, they just went around and hung out in Baltimore County together, as if they hadn't just buried the dead body of Hay Min Lee. Now after a while of this, then Jay takes Adnan back to the high school. In Jay's interview, he is asked why he took Anon back to the school, to which Jay says that Anon told him that he, quote, needed to be seen there, to which the detective says, so he wanted an alibi? And Jay responds, yes. I'm sure, like me, you're probably wondering what the hell did Anon have to say in return to Jay's statement? Well, Anon simply said, that didn't happen. But not just parts of it didn't happen, that none of it happened. Not a single word, according to Anon, is true that Jay says. Now, Anon has stood by his innocence and states that he had nothing to do with Hayes' murder and he has no clue who did. Well, my junior year, me and Fod had just decided, hey, yo, we'll be the first Muslim guys to go to our prom. I was kind of like a scaredy cat, and I was like, well, I don't, I don't even know who to ask. I happened to run it by Debbie. I think I asked her if Hay would have been interested. I don't think I would have had the courage to just ask Hay. Debbie told me, yeah, just ask her. Now, something everyone can agree on with Hay is that she had a very private home life. Though she did often talk about her mother being very strict, she told friends that she had a lot of responsibility in her household as well. She lived with her mother, her grandparents, her uncle, two younger cousins, and her brother. Because Hay was the oldest, she had to translate for the adults in the house. According to Adnan, because she had so much responsibility, she sort of felt like she could do whatever she wanted to do. Now, Anon says that he loved Hay. It was his first serious relationship and all that. He really loved her, but it was high school. So when they broke up, he got over her, saying that they actually broke up just before Christmas break senior year. And he said, absolutely, he was fine. He wasn't obsessed with her or anything. So why don't we just ask Anon? What happened on that last day that Hay was seen alive? I mean, if he says what Jay says isn't true, then he must be able to have some sort of rebuttal. That's the thing. He doesn't really seem to. It is true that Jay and Anon hung out on the 13th, both during and after school, but he doesn't remember exact details, like what they did, where they went, or even what time it was. He says that it was a normal day and like any other, but there are a few things he claims that do stand out. He says it was in fact Stephanie's birthday. Stephanie wasn't just Jay's girlfriend, but also Adnan's best friend. 
Adnan had even gotten Stephanie a stuffed reindeer as a present, which he gave to her in second period that day. Adnan says that he asked Jay if he had gotten anything for Stephanie. I know you're probably wondering, why the fuck does Adnan care? Anon, in his own words, said that he cared if Jay got her something because Stephanie was important to him. Well, uh, Stephanie was a very close friend of mine, as I mentioned, and it was just, uh, I just kind of wanted to make sure that she also got a gift from him. You know, she had mentioned to me that uh, she was looking forward to getting a gift from him. She mentioned she was really happy to get the gift that I gave her. So it just, as I would with any friend, I just kind of, uh, we know, went to check on that. I kind of had a feeling that maybe he didn't get her a gift. And I had free periods during school, so it wasn't like, you know, it, it, it was not abnormal for me to leave school to go do something. Anon states that he asked Jay if he had gotten Stephanie a gift. He said he hadn't, so Anon offered to let him use his car, go to the mall, and get her a gift. But just be sure to come back and pick him up after practice. He then states that when school ended, he would have went to the library. He claims that, though he didn't usually check his email, that if he did, he would have been in the library doing so. Now, Anon would go to the library and check his email and kill time. That was probably a poor choice of words, but he would do so because track didn't start until about 3.30, so he kind of needed to do something to occupy his time. Now, Anon, in his own words, states that he would have had a little bit over an hour of free time before track practice and when school let out. This is the exact time period estimated to be when Hay was murdered, and the period of time in heavy question. Do you remember how Anon said that he handled the breakup pretty well for being in high school? What if that doesn't seem to ring true? At least not according to Hay's very own words in her journal. Okay, here it goes. I'm really getting annoyed that the situation is going the way it is. At first, I kind of want to make this easy, for me and for you. People break up all the time. Your life is not going to end. You'll move on and I'll move on. But apparently you don't respect me enough to accept my decision. The more fuss you make, the more I'm determined to do what I gotta do. I'll be busy today, tomorrow, and probably till Thursday. I got other things to do, better than give you any hope that we'll get back together. I really don't see that happening, especially now. I never want to end this like this, so hostile and cold. Hate me if you will, but you sure remember that I can never hate you. Now, we know school got out at 2.15, and there are witnesses that saw Hay heading to her car. One of those witnesses is her best friend, Debbie. The state's next witness is Ms. Debbie Warren. Ms. Warren, will you step up to the witness stand? Ms. Warren, did you become aware of any breakups in their relationship? They had broken up probably two times before their final breakup between December and January of 99. Were you ever aware that Hay dated anyone else after the final breakup? Yes, she did. Who was that? Um, Donnie. December 6th. What's the matter with me? Every time I close my eyes, I see my baby. But I keep on thinking about someone else. Don Kleindenst. Why? I don't know. But I keep wanting to get closer to him. I'm going to have to get my thoughts straight. I do love Anon. But today, 
I kept on imagining Dawn over my body instead of Anon. Dawn is what I would go for in my past. Blonde, blue eyes, white, built, sexy, and nice Camaro. Let me introduce you to Debbie and Dawn. Dawn was a co-worker of Hayes who worked with her at Lens Crafters. A few of Hayes' friends knew of Dawn and were under the impression that he and Hay were close to, if not, the same age. So when her friends met him, they were shocked to learn that he was actually a 22-year-old grown man who was in a relationship with their fellow high school classmate and friend. Hay was very much on the rebound from her first real love with Adnan. So according to Debbie, Hay was following too fast, too hard, and too soon. Hay had also expressed to Debbie that she had not been happy with the fact that her and Anand relationship had to be kept secret. Yet here she was doing the exact same thing with Don. Though this time it wasn't due to his religion, it was because of Don's age. Debbie went on in court to state that Anon had believed that Hay may have been cheating on him with Don, and that Hay and Don's relationship had actually started before she'd even broken up with him. Also, according to Debbie, she witnessed Hay walking out to her car on January 13th, specifically remembering that Hay was in a rush to get somewhere. Her plans were to go pick up her cousin, drop her off, and then go and see Don. Debbie went on to say that Hay was very excited and happy about this. Debbie states that, she was a bit cautious of Don and warned Hay to be careful. April 27th, 1998. Eek, 20 days since I wrote. Oh well, let me fill you in. School is still a bitch, but I'm surviving it. And prom was the 25th, and I better tell about it while it's still fresh in my mind. I wore this dress that's blue and sparkles as purple in light. First, he dropped me off at Isha's, still not dressed. I seriously freaked because I thought we were going to be late for prom. But he got his tux. We took our picks. One together, one of me, and one with me, Isha, Becky, and Debbie. I was so crazy. It was just really tough, you know? It was just to, to go through the motions of everything. But it's like you had to because, like, your life wouldn't stop. Now we talked for a moment earlier about Alonzo Sellers, the man who found Hay's body. Initially upon the discovery of Hay's body, Alonzo was looked at and people were a bit iffy of his story. And Alonzo had been in trouble with the law before for some pretty serious and decent exposure charges. But of course, attention did not stay on him. Now Don, he was the new person in Hay's life, so shouldn't he be a possible suspect? Tyler Maroney, a private investigator, looked more into Don due to the police failing to investigate him more thoroughly. It's now known that Hay had spent the evening before she disappeared with Don and she got home late that night. Now, according to Don, he and Hay had made plans to see each other on the 13th when he got off of work. He claimed he arrived home from work around 7 p.m. and the police were calling him looking for Hay. Oddly, though, they couldn't get a hold of him until 1.30 in the morning. So there is a big gap in time when Don was leaving work to when the police reached him that is completely unaccounted for. So a few questions arise. Why wasn't he calling the police back? But most of all, why wasn't he trying to get a hold of Hay? I mean, they had plans. They were supposed to hang out. 
Shouldn't he have at least been trying to text her and say, hey, you coming by still? But he wasn't trying to reach Hay at all. It just kind of seems a little odd to me that Hay's very own boyfriend didn't seem worried. But I don't know, a lot of characters in this case are looking really fucking suspicious. Don lived in Hartford County, and the police were asked to be on the lookout for Hay's car, but they didn't find it. Police also failed to obtain Don's original timesheets from the day of Hay's disappearance. When they were finally obtained, it was in October of that year by Adnan's attorney. Something else that was discovered when they finally looked into Don's work was that his manager was none other than his mother. And who was his alibi for the time of Hayes' murder? That's right, his manager. Or should I say momager in this case. Debbie actually grew so suspicious of Don that she decided to investigate herself. There is a typed up police statement of an interview with Debbie where she states that she contacted Don herself. Debbie did this online via email. She said that she was wondering if he would even respond back to her and that she was just curious if he had heard from her at all or if he had any details on her disappearance. She goes on to say that when he did respond, he was eager to talk and very open with her. After the initial email, their communication turned to phone calls with one of them lasting seven hours. She states that she mainly asked what he knew about Hay and what all he could recall. She says that she can't recall everything about what they spoke for for seven hours, but she did say that during spring break, Debbie's sister was attending college and she lived on campus, so she decided to go visit her and stay there for about a week. But when Don found this out, he became eager and expressed that he wanted to see Debbie. Okay. I guess just that evening, that was the first time he had really expressed like romantic interest. And it was kind of odd. Um, I didn't really know what to do with that. But, um, you know, he made it very clear that that's what he was interested in. And I guess to some extent I went along with it for some time. Um, but, you know, I, I did make it clear to him that I was not, you know, sexual, that, that you know, not something, <laughs> not something we were going to be involved in. How that all ended up playing out, I, I just, my mind completely blocks it off after that. I don't, I don't have much recollection. I wasn't sure if he was, you know, trying to recapture what he had with Hay in some way. So we've been talking a lot about Don, but we haven't heard from him. It's not a day go by that I do not think about her and what happened. I was very much in love with her. But to be honest with you, I've got a lot of other things on my mind. Since I was 23, I haven't been able to work. I'm 38 now. I don't expect to live to see 50. My next 12 years basically is making sure that my wife and kids are taken care of. Not worrying about whether anybody believes my alibi. Most people don't have the resources you do to track me down. Her new boyfriend. Do you know much about him? Well, I knew uh, I, that was a uh, learned fact. I uh, don't think he didn't go uninvestigated. His alibi was his mother, and so there's a question of... Would a mother lie for him? Sure. He caught a cut equal attention that the defendant did, but he didn't have any phone calls come in about him. On February 12th, an anonymous call comes into the police station. The caller is described to be an Asian male, between 18 and 21 years old. 
The caller stated, you should concentrate on the victim's boyfriend, Adnan Syed, with the caller stating that Hay had broken up with Anand about a week before she went missing. Now, according to cell records and Jay's statement, Hay was dead by 2.36 p.m., so sometime between 2.15 and 2.36, someone strangled her with their bare hands. This is also the same window of time that Anand needs to account for. And according to Anand, in his own words, quote, my case lived and died in those 21 minutes. But why can't Anand account for where he was? Well, he claims he could have been in the library, but no one came forward to state this in his trial. Anand and I weren't really close friends, but we had a, a ton of mutual friends. And so when someone gets arrested, you, you start to think of, you know, what, what's the last time I saw this person? And then you start to think of, when's the last conversation that I had with them? And it popped into my head, like, oh, we, oh, I remember that day I saw him in the library. We actually talked about, hey. I told him that I heard that they had broken up. He told me that it was true. He said that she had started a new relationship with another guy. He referred to him as um, a white dude, is what he said. You know, I kind of felt bad for crying. He just kind of shrugged it off and he said, you know, I just want her to be happy. And it just slowly kind of creeped up on me that the last time I saw this guy was at the library. That was before we had the two days off of school. And that was when they're saying she went missing. And then it was just kind of like light bulb moment. <laughs> I might have been the last person to see him. And we talked about her. Asia was a fellow student at Woodlawn, and she claims that she recalls talking to Adnan that day in the library. Eventually, she was convinced to notify the family that she could have some information that could help Adnan. She went to Adnan's house to speak with the family, but felt that maybe they didn't really see that her information was of a lot of importance because it was only about a 15 to 20 minute period of time. The exact time frame that is needed to verify where Adnan was during Hayes' murder. Asia then took it upon herself to write Adnan a letter in case his family didn't let him know that she could help. She states in the letter to Adnan that he may not remember talking to her that day in January in the library, but she does. She goes on to state that depending on the amount of time he spent in the library, that it could help in his defense. She asked to schedule a meeting with him and that all she asked for was for him to look her in the eyes and tell her that he did not kill Hay. She also states in the letter that she had not brought this to the police yet. See, according to Asia, at this point in time, she didn't really trust the Baltimore law enforcement and that she had actually been racially profiled a few times and she had experienced a lot of issues with the department in her past. To me, it sucks that this was not included in the trial because this could actually prove that Anand did not kill Hay. I'm going to say this, that there are a lot of issues when it comes to Anand's defense, but that's mainly because when the lawyer went to go speak to Anand initially, he was not allowed. He could not get in. Even though the family had actually got Anand's lawyer and sent him to prison to talk to Anand, they refused to let his lawyer in because Anand was unaware he was given a lawyer and had not put him in on a list. So he parks the car there and then what happened? Um, on the way home, he like, stopped here, he stopped at, uh, at Westfield. 
one of the dumpsters behind Westview, do all the stuff there. With the seven of them. Hay was the 20th body to be found in Legan Park, a vast sea of trees and land that separated Baltimore County from Baltimore City. In 98, it was noted that Baltimore was struggling with homicide rates. They were on the rise. While other cities and states, the homicide statistics were dropping at a rapid rate. There were several interviews with officials stating that they needed to do something about this and that these numbers could not continue on like this. This began a more aggressive style of policing which led people to believe that the police may have botched Hayes' murder investigation intentionally to land a conviction. There are just too many holes, too many questions. The case is based too much on reasonable doubt, making it seem as though the police found a likely culprit when initially they weren't positive and thought that it could actually be Alonzo and didn't look too much into it until that anonymous phone call. They didn't even look really very much into her much older secret boyfriend who has literal hours of unaccounted for time on the day that she went missing and whose very own alibi is hinged on his mother. Detective Gregory McGillivary, Baltimore Police Department Homicide Unit. Were you the primary office, detective assigned to the investigation of the Hay Min Lee murder? Yes, I was. Now, it became a Baltimore City matter because the body was found inside the city limits, correct? That is correct. Lincoln Park is the southwest borderline of Baltimore City entering to Baltimore County. It's a common area, unfortunately, that we've found and had many, many murder victims found in. In the past five years, police have found 20 bodies in this vast wooded expanse. Heyman Lee was number 20. Now when it comes to Jay, I'm not exactly sure what to gather from him as he himself does come off a bit shady to me with his statements in all of this. I'd like to tell you guys about a recent interview with Jay. You see, during the coverage of the case, Jay didn't do interviews publicly, which, I mean, we can't really judge people, but also still a bit shady, especially when you are the star witness of the case. In this interview, Jay states that he wasn't really a big-time drug dealer, but at the time in the 90s in Maryland, the drug laws were really, really intense, and that he even saw houses in his very neighborhood being swatted and raided by the DEA for less than what he was even doing. Now those are his words, which made me think, hmm, this is the 90s, there was so much of a war against marijuana, and it wasn't just like a slap on the wrist as it is now. People were spending years in jail for next to nothing being on them. So here's where my brain started to go. What if Jay was busted and made a deal? You know, he had been in an interview with police only mere hours before Anon was arrested, and in the middle of the night nonetheless. I mean, we do see a very common pattern of criminals giving up and snitching uh, just to make something much bigger look more appetizing to the police on the appeal that they can buy their freedom. And I mean, it seems like police could absolutely grab this opportunity with their crime rates at a high and not looking like they're gonna come down why not at least for sure slam dunk a case where someone is staying they know the murderer 
Sorry, I meant to say stating and staying at the same time, and instead the word staying came out. Now, am I saying that Jay completely fabricated his story? No, not at all. In fact, I do believe there is some truth to it. I'm just not going to share you the parts that I believe are true. What I will state is I absolutely believe Jay knows what happened. Now, I'm saying his story could absolutely be possible, but it may also be completely possible that he really and truly did help Anon dispose of Hay's body that day, and that Anon is lying so that no one in his family will know what he did. As we do know, he did hide things from his family so he wouldn't hurt them, especially his mother. Anon may have been more worried about hurting his mother, but Anon's father has been the one that hasn't handled everything very well and took on an early retirement and has stayed publicly hidden for the most part, not speaking too much, but when he does, he shares about the pain that he deals with every day going through this. My mom, like she would get mad at me, but it would just be like funny to me. Because she's always mad at me about something, right? But I've never wanted to hurt my mom, though. You know what I mean? That's why I would always try to hide stuff from her. All right, can we have Miss Pusateri come in? Thank you. Miss Pusateri, I'm going to ask you to step all the way up here and just have a seat. Jennifer Pusateri. I had got a page from Jay. I really couldn't understand what he was trying to say. I was confused, so I called um, a cell phone number that I had got off my caller ID from um, that phone that he had earlier. What happened when you called that number? Someone answered the phone and said Jay would call me when he was ready for me to come and get him. He was busy. And I think about a half hour later, Jay called me back. I went, picked him up. So at some point, you picked up Mr. Waddles? Yes. And where was that? In front of Value City. Another part of Jay's story was that he went to a friend's house with Anon's car, which he actually did. And he did have Anon's phone, as she states. Well, she says he had a phone, but it wasn't his because... Jay didn't have a phone. Jen says that he played video games while he was there, smoked, and then he got a phone call and this is when he left. She also states that they had made plans to hang out later and that when she called him, she was told to come and pick him up, which she did. She states that she picked up him and Anon from Value City at the local mall. This differs from Jay's statements as he says that Anon dropped Jay off at home and then Jen picked him up from his house. Jen stands by the claim that Jay told her to meet him at the mall. And many people aren't sure why he would state that when someone else can testify against it. Jen continues on to say that Anon and Jay pulled up after she had parked and that Anon was driving. Jay then got out of Anon's car and into Jen's where she told him to put on his seatbelt and they were gonna go. As they began to drive, Jay went on to tell Jen that Anon had strangled Hay, even telling Jen that he had seen Hay's body. He went on to tell me that, uh, Adnan had um, strangled Hay. Did Mr. Wilds indicate to you whether he'd seen Hay? Yes, he told me that he saw her body in the trunk of a car. According to Jen, Jay didn't want to go to the police because he didn't think he had important information, as he had just seen Hay's body. She then drove Jay to the back of the mall where Jay got out of the car and went into some dumpsters. Jay was looking for shovels, according to Jen. Shovels used to hide Hay's body. Shovels, as well, that Jen did not end up seeing. 
Jay had simply said he needed to wipe down the shovels for Adnan, and it wasn't until two weeks before Adnan's trial that Jen learned of Jay's actual involvement with burying Hay's body. I'm sure, like most people, you are wondering, why didn't Jen just go to the police? Well, according to her, weed was still pretty heavily punishable and she didn't feel like she would be fairly treated because she herself sold weed along with Jay. To this day, she claims that she doesn't like being involved in the case and she doesn't like being called a state's witness. I'd just rather not have any involvement with any type of thing like this. Also in this recent interview with Jay, he makes a statement about Hay and Anon's relationship and how to him, he didn't think that Hay was very serious about Anon. I'm going to read to you what he says on this topic about Anon and Hay's relationship and how he didn't think Hay was serious. But I want you to keep in mind, you have been hearing excerpts from Hay's journal where she does state she was very much in love with Anon. He says, I think this was his first real girlfriend. I think that's why his reaction was so strong. I don't think that it meant that much to her. I don't think that's wrong. It's high school, you know? She's a high school girl, quote, oh, he's cute or whatever. Things fizzle out. I think there was another dude or something or whatever. I really don't know much about their relationship. If they hung out, where they hung out, and when they hung out. Jay also states what he remembers about Hay is that she seemed to act more like a junior in college than a high school girl their age. He also made sure to note very clearly that Hay was also not in the magnet program, though Adnan and Stephanie were. Is anyone else just a little bit fucking disturbed by the fact that Jay is absolutely obsessed with this magnet program? Jay also states that Anon first told him about wanting to hurt Hay a week before the murder stating that Anon had found out that she had been cheating on him. This is what Jay had to say. We were in the car. We were riding, smoking. He just started opening up. It's in the evening after school. We never hung out in the morning. Just normal conversation like, quote, I think she's fucking around. I'm going to kill that bitch, man. Nothing real pointed or anything. Nothing like, quote, I know his name or I caught her. But I just thought he was just shooting off like everyone else shoots off when they're mad at their girlfriend. He never said anything like, quote, hey, what gauge gun should I use? Or how many minutes am I supposed to hold somebody underwater for? Or is there a statute of limitation on murder? I thought he was blowing off steam and bullshitting. I thought at worst he'd throw a rock through her window or something. Normal high school, I'm mad at her and I'll scratch her car sort of stuff. He then goes on to say that he had never known anyone else to kill someone. So there was no way that he could have actually known that he was telling the truth. What gets me also is he goes on to contradict, in a sense, his very own statement that locked a nun up. He does go on to kind of blow his very own statement away that put a nun in jail. He says that you shouldn't speculate that he's not absolutely positive if he said what he said and meant it a week before, so we shouldn't focus on that. And that Anon could have just been bullshitting him at the time, so don't look too deep into it, that he wasn't sure of what actually occurred between Anon and Hay that day, so you shouldn't speculate on us. <laughs> yeah, why shouldn't we speculate, Jay? You are the one who says, this is your truth, this is your fact, even though your truth and fact has changed so many times. He continues with, I don't know if she said something that he couldn't handle and he just went off the edge or... 
I don't know. He said at that point, you're speculating. Even though it is his speculating statement that landed Anon in prison. He also states that he doesn't feel comfortable drawing conclusions like that. You can't start drawing conclusions like that. His exact words. I also wanted it to be known that Jen has publicly stated that she feels dumb for believing Jay. That Jay would have just let Hay use shovels to bury a body. And then that he would just, oh yeah, sure, I'll go voluntarily wipe down those shovels you just buried a body with. Why not, buddy? It's safe to say that Jen and Jay are no longer friends. Ultimately, though, according to police, it was cell records that linked Anon to the murder. So, like, the prosecution had painted Anon as a totally, like, a bipolar or, a, like, a maniacal dual, dual personality. As I mentioned, Jay recently did an interview, and in this interview, he states that as a kid, he wasn't exactly angry, but he definitely had resentment to his school. You see, Jay's group of friends wasn't very big, but most of them, including his girlfriend Stephanie, were in the Magnet program, which Jay himself was not a part of. In this interview, it's extremely apparent how much anger he had toward this program, and it seems resentment toward those who were in it. Quote, when they put the magnet wing in, it was kind of like these people were different from us, and they didn't have to interact with us anymore. They didn't have to go by us except to come to lunch, and that was it. But their gym, lockers, parking was down in the magnet wing, and I found that to be a bit of a slap in the face because I knew football paid for all of that, but there were few football players down there. Football played for everything in that school. That is a direct quote from Jay himself. He states, however, that he didn't resent the students, but the school for putting the magnet wing in. Now, apparently Jay met Anon, according to him, when Stephanie, his girlfriend, came to him saying that Anon was a pretty cool guy and that he wanted to buy some weed from him. Jay says his initial response to this was, whoa, isn't he an EMT? To which Stephanie was like, don't worry, he's cool, he just wants to buy some weed. When asked in this interview what his impression of Anon was, he stated that he seemed a bit pompous and that he was driven in his schooling, as Anon himself was part of the Magnet program as well. I also want to throw in something here because this is a reason that I have a very shady feeling about Jay, but it was also claimed that Anon and Stephanie had, had some stuff going on as well leading me to think that Jay could have been jealous of Anon, not just because he was in the Magnet program, which we know he was very jealous of, but also because he may have been, uh, he may have been a little bit more than friendly with his, uh, with his girlfriend. When he was asked, when did him and Anon become close, Jay responds with, there was never a real friendship. I only smoked with him maybe two or three times. It wasn't like, oh, we're down in the park. Come on down. We're friendly. We're cool. I might have just sat next to him in class and joked or something, but he didn't call me unless he needed something. It wasn't like, oh, we're going bowling and let's call in before we go bowling and call the rest of our friends and call Jay. He says that he doesn't remember ever going to any kinds of functions or endeavors together or any concerts or clubs. Which, again, makes me very suspicious of him because of what I'm about to tell you. The first, if they weren't as close as Jay states, why the fuck would Anon alert Jay of him having Hay's body? 
you guys all know that joke, you know, you, you say to your best friend, I'll help you bury a body. They were barely even friends. Why the fuck is he helping Anon bury a body? I mean, he's covering it up for a guy that he basically doesn't seem to give a fuck about. Not to mention, in Jay's own words, they never hung out. They never went out and did stuff together. But that is completely contradicted by photo graphic evidence. Sorry to say it like that. I'm just, I'm so lost in the fact that they believed Jay's statement when he hasn't kept it true and it's got so many holes in it. You see, there are photos of Jay, Ednan, and Stephanie all having a good time just two days after Hay went missing. They were at a friend's birthday party, a party that everyone else was shocked to see the three of them show up to. A party that also everyone else was very worried that Hay had not shown up to, as she had been very much looking forward to going to this party. I'm also just going to throw in a little bit from Nikisha, who is Jay's ex. They dated in 2008, and they had a son together. He was trying to be controlling, and he had his mother there with him too, so he told me if I leave with my son, we all have to be together certain situations where he'll get mad and his mother might have him. He'll call his mother, oh, well, don't let her get him. And I would call the police. She just wouldn't answer the door, little situations like that. And I just didn't want the drama. After he hit me the first time in front of my son, I didn't want my son to ever see that. Right at that Rite Aid up on Emerson Avenue, I remember like it was yesterday. And he went in the Rite Aid thinking he was going to get a prescription filled for my son. And I just, I left. I left all whatever stuff my son had. At his grandmother's house, I left that, and I just never turned back. So where is Jay? Jay is in California somewhere, far, far away. He was messaging me, like, maybe last year, I guess just to irk me. And I haven't talked to him since. So he never told you that his friend's girlfriend got murdered? He did say, he did say that. He, but he brushed it off, like, real quick. No accessory, no, I did this, nothing. Anon's first call that day in January was to Jay. A private investigator, Andrew Davis, looked into Jay, and a witness nicknamed Sis, who was Jay's supervisor at an adult boutique, said Jay did miss work for a few days in February to be interviewed by police. That probably sounds normal, right? We do know that Jay was questioned. Except, that goes against what the state says happened. The state claims that Jay was questioned and everything was confessed in one night, not over the period of several days. I, I can't confirm or deny it. Either way, the most significant part is that don't, shouldn't cloud what Jay knew. In Jay's recorded interviews initially, he states that Anon told him that day that he was going to kill Hay. But in his recent interview, he says the opposite. Quote, no, I didn't know that he planned to murder her that day. I didn't think he was going to kill her. We were in the car together during last period. He was ditching the last period. And I said, hey, I need to run to the mall because I need to get a gift for Stephanie. Then Anon said, no, I got to go do something. I'm going to be late for practice. So just drop me off. Take my car. Take my cell phone. I'll call you from someone else's phone when I'm done. I said, all right, cool. I dropped him off at school. 
went to the mall, and then I was done. I go back to my friend Jen's house, where I normally go sit and smoke with my friends. Then he calls me and says, come pick me up. So I go pick him up, and when I get there, he says, oh shit, I did it. I say, did what? He says, I killed Hay. Another thing that I found interesting in this interview is that Jay had claimed to police that he first saw Hay's body in the trunk of her car in the Best Buy parking lot, but that was a lie. Jay now states that he told the police that because he didn't want to involve his grandmother. Buddy, this is about a murder. Your grandmother is going to get involved. He says that he saw her body in the front of his grandmother's house for the first time. He says he knows this because he remembers the highway traffic off to his side and then Anand standing on the other side of him. He also claims that when he arrived at the Best Buy parking lot, Anand didn't have a car with him. In fact, he was completely alone. He states that at the time, he wasn't sure where Hay's car was and that it could have been in the parking lot, but he had actually never seen it before. So to him, he wouldn't have known if it was there or not. He said that Adnan told him that he had killed her in that parking lot and her car was in fact there. He says that this time it started to get dark and that Anon and him drove over to Kathy's to smoke, stating that when they arrived there, people were already there, so he didn't really want to go, hey, the guy I'm with just killed someone, which is probably exactly what he should have done, especially when he states that the police called looking for Hay. Now, it is verified that Anon did kind of panic when the police contacted him, actually quoted to be saying, what am I going to do, guys? What am I going to do? Now, again, his story gets choppy here. Even now, you'd think that he would know what he has said over and over again, as he has said it several times, not just to police. It was stated in court, and he's gone on record. But again, it's always changing. I have played Jay's testimony for you several times. Now I'm going to tell you what he says now. He says that after the call, Anand wanted to leave, and that he wasn't sure if he left with Anand or if maybe he got a ride with somebody else. And then, not even a minute later, in almost the exact same breath of him saying this, he answers the next question by saying that he remembers Anand dropped him off at his grandmother's house around 6 p.m. This was because of the call, which police didn't actually get in touch with Anand until after 6 p.m. So after dropping him off at his grandmother's around 6 p.m., that is when Anand leaves in his car. Jay says that he felt fucked up and guilty for not telling anyone what he knew. He then states that later he wasn't sure if Anand was outside just yet or almost there, but he called him saying, I'm outside. And this is when he went outside and saw that Anand had a different car. This is when Anand turns to Jay and says, you gotta help me or I'm gonna tell the cops about you and your weed and all that shit. Yeah, that's a direct quote, by the way. Somehow, I feel like Anand didn't have the upper hand in this situation. Jay was a weed dealer, and a small-time teen one at that. Anand had just possibly done far worse by committing murder. If this version of Jay's story is true, he did have the upper hand right here. Jay was a small-time weed dealer. Anand had a dead person in the trunk of that person's car. At that point, right then, he could have turned around, walked into his house, called 911. Even if, even if Anand drove away, at least he pulled somebody. I'm just saying. But honestly, at this point, I don't know what of Jay's story is true, if anything. So they're standing out front of his grandmother's house in front of this car that he has never seen before. 
He says this is when Anand pops the trunk and he sees Hay's body for the first time. However, according to him, she wasn't all beat up. She still had all her clothes on, which he actually said they were and got correct. In his own words, he says she wasn't beat up. Her clothes were on. It was nothing like that. He says that she was a purplish blue and that her legs were tucked up behind her body. This is when Anand turns to him and says, just help me dig the hole. This is when his head starts to kind of freak out and thoughts start flying through about the fact that he's an inner city black guy who is selling weed to these kids. In his own words, he states, I would have been fried. This is when he turns to Anon and says, fuck it, I'll help you dig a hole, man. He says he would have rather dug the body than got busted for weed and according to him, probably spent the rest of his life in prison. Now I can understand the fear, especially in the 90s. The stigma behind marijuana was very fucking real, guys. Not to mention, we all know there's a lot of racial profiling when it comes to police. And seriously, I don't need any keyboard warriors writing me saying that that is not a true statement because I will send you about 500 articles saying, sorry, but you're wrong. So I will agree with him. Racial profiling and the fact that he was selling weed is a bit of a, okay, I'm a little scared I could go to jail. But dude, I don't understand how weed is a less fraction to you than helping get rid of a body. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I feel like accessory and drug dealing, that's a big, that's a big difference, especially because he was doing dime bags. I'm going to move forward because I'm getting too distracted and I definitely don't want Caleb to write me again and tell me that. Jay states that they didn't go and get rid of her body just then. He says that Anand left for a few hours and then returned in his car, not the unknown one that he was in before. This is when at this point he finds out that Anand doesn't have any tools to dispose of her body and asked if Jay did. This is when Jay asked Anand, where are we going? Now, according to Jay, when Anand says that doesn't everyone get dumped in Lincoln Park? It startles him. Because Jay couldn't remember ever telling Anon that this was a common dumping ground for bodies. However, he did manage to say, yeah, I mean for drug dealers. When they got to Lincoln Park, he said that they dug for about 40 minutes. And he wanted to clear up that contrary to popular belief, Hay's body was not laying next to them. It was still in the trunk of the car. He then says after this 40 minutes, he says that he's done. And this is when Anand looks at him and says, can you please just help me move the body? This is where Jay says he refused. So Anand had to do that part on his own. Okay, again, it gets a little choppy, so bear with me. He then went with Jay to her car to head back toward the gravesite. Jay says they agree for him to stay back a little bit of ways so that it wouldn't be too far of a walk for Anand to come back to once he has finished disposing of her car and her body. After about 45 minutes, Jay says Anon came back with gloves on and he was panting and saying, she's really fucking heavy. And that was it. That was all that he claims Anon said about burying Hay. He then says they went and dropped off her car at some random place and then Anon took him to his house and dropped him off. Do I dare to pull him away from his religion? Miss Sawick was all up in my face about it. She said stuff like, well, Anon used to be so religious and strict last year, but this year, he is so loose. Like, I changed him. And I don't want to pull him away from who he is, but I do know one thing. I love him, and he loves me. 
When asked why his story has changed so much, Jay says, first of all, I wasn't openly willing to cooperate with the police in the beginning. It wasn't until they made it clear they weren't interested in my, quote, procurement of pot that I had begun to open up at all. He then says that he only gave them information pertaining to his interaction with someone or where he was. They said that they even chased him around before cornering him to make him talk. He even stated that he began to get very sick of talking to the police and that they would not stop interviewing him or questioning him. And that they said, well, we have on phone records that you talked to Jen. He said, I'd say, nope, I didn't talk to Jen until Jen told me that she talked with the cops and that it was okay if I did too. Which I also want to bring up something here that's been kind of brought up that seems a little suspicious. Cops say they did not talk to Jen until they talked to Jay. Yet Jay says he didn't talk to cops until they talked to Jen. I don't know, it's really fucking confusing, guys. She went to go work at her uncle's convenience store. It was right near Camden Yard. Her mom made her go and live there above the store for like a week. It was definitely a consequence of her seeing me. I had fun today. Probably the last fun I'll have before I get locked away for a week. We'll survive, me and my baby. I know for sure. Now, I do want to mention the fact that I did say that Hay kept her life pretty private, but it was very much known that her mother was very strict. There have been people stating that they think that Hay's family may have killed her. You see, Hay would get in trouble, and she did get in trouble for dating Anon. She was actually sent away for a week. So it wasn't just Anon that had to keep his relationship a secret. Hay had to as well. Damn my grandma and mother. I'm pushing Anon away. I can't get close, and he can't get close to me. I can't believe things are about to blow up in my face. <sighs> my life's a bitch. Now, there are a lot of common things in this case. A lot of people went on the stand and stated that Anon had shared that he was very upset with the fact that Hey was cheating on him or had cheated on him and was involved with Don before they officially broke up. Though Anon claims that is simply not true, that he actually did meet Don and he was fine with it. Again, Hay herself in her journal states a little bit of a different thing. It seems like maybe Anon wasn't actually okay with Don. Maybe not even with the breakup altogether. They portrayed it as if, you know, I was angry with her, upset with her, that the final straw was when I found out she started dating Don, as if she didn't tell me that she started dating Don, as if she didn't introduce me to Don. I don't know if you're like me, but I am very curious as to why they did not look farther into Don. Don was a 22-year-old man dating a senior in high school, someone he claims he was very much in love with. I'm not sure what the fuck they talked about, but apparently he really enjoyed her company. I'm sure you did, you nasty. Again, I can't say anything because I dealt with these kind of guys when I was in school. The older guys liking the younger girls, and looking back now, it's disgusting. So I'm not sure why he wasn't truly looked into and why they didn't even bother getting his timesheets that day. It seems really shifty that the police could not get a hold of him when he was her very much older boyfriend at the time and he was just MIA for several hours on the same day that Hay goes missing. I mean, that seems like the perfect amount of time to kill somebody, hide their car, get home, 
make sure there's no evidence of everything. Oh, and also would account for why he was not trying to contact her because he knew exactly where she was. January 12, 1999. I love you, Don. I think I've found my soulmate. I love you so much. I fell in love with you the moment I opened my eyes to see you in the break room for the first time. So their whole case in so many ways is all about Jay. Justin has said he's never going to stop working on the case. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just an amazingly generous thing. Stuff like that, like, really gives me a lot of strength because it's like, okay, you know, this, this is the process, but at least I have this. Anand is still in prison, and there are several people trying to fight for his freedom. I highly encourage you to look into this case, as it really could have gone so many other ways, except for that pivotal moment that made it lock in on Anand's path, and that is the anonymous caller. Jay has been asked if he was the anonymous caller, and he states that he is not. But he says that he believes he knows who it is due to the trial. He said that he believes it's somebody from the mosque, a leader, actually, that ended up pleading the fifth when it came to his testimony at trial. He believes he did this to protect Anon as he was a leader and could have sensitive information about what Anon had done when he told him this in confidence. Think like a spiritual leader when you go to confess your sins. Again, as I said, there is so much that I could say on this case, and though I covered a lot, I didn't cover even half of it. Hay also dealt with what many people think was sexual abuse when she was growing up. My baby's been gone since the 16th. He went to Texas with his father for some Muslim convention thing. He called me on Friday, twice, with calling cards. Isn't he sweet? I would page her, and then when I would call her, she would already have called like the weather or time. So when the call comes through, it wouldn't actually ring. It would just be call waiting. Because you would just click over. In public, she was just like this positive ray of light. She was never the person that you would see down. I think maybe in one way publicly, but privately, you know, to go through what she was going through. I think that's how she contributed a great amount of stress too. Sometimes she would get upset like when she would talk about back home in Korea. We were in bed together and like she got really upset, like she got super upset. It was like almost like a standoff almost. Like I'm at one edge of the bed and she's at the other. She was weeping. And she had her face down, like she had her like like her legs curled up. I I've never seen nothing like that before. And that's when she, she told me, you know. She had been sexually abused when she was in Korea. And I was just shocked. And I'd never ever experienced that. I didn't know anyone who had been abused. I didn't know anything about that type of abuse. I kind of had a feeling like I shouldn't touch her while she talks about this. You know, so I just kind of listened. And what was upsetting to her was I said it happened because the person never like got in trouble for it. She was a young girl, this is the oldest person, and she couldn't do anything about it in a way. So it's just things like that that I guess I have insight in because I knew her. And, you know, even with me, I didn't really get the full depth of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys don't know, hey, people who have researched this case don't know, hey. 
Look, if you want to know more about Heyman Lee's case, I highly recommend checking out all that you can as there is a lot out there. You can go look up the HBO docu-series and you can look up the serial podcast as well on this case. I'd like to know what you guys think of this case. Do you think Anon truly killed Hay? Do you believe that Jay actually is telling the truth on one of his stories? Pick one because I don't know which one. Or do you think that it could have been Don? You know, the creepy older guy that was into high school girls. Or maybe the internet's onto something. Maybe it was Hay's family. Again, this is speculation as there is a person currently serving life plus 30 years for the murder of Hay Min Lee. If you are like me, just left thinking, what the fuck, did Anon do it? What about Don? What? Like, is this the most accurate punishment for such a circumstantial evidence case? There's no real evidence in this case. When there are cases where criminals are walking free with mounds of evidence. I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with me. So I really would be interested to know what you guys think. As I said, I did leave a lot of things out. If you want to watch the HBO documentary, I highly recommend it. And you will learn so much on how truly deep this case goes. If you have any cases, mysteries, conspiracies, or anything that you want me to cover or look into, please send me a message at whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. Many of you are doing this and I currently have a book that I am writing in of your suggestions of cases, internet mysteries, and more that are coming into the email and all my other platforms. There are so many good ones. Thank you guys. I cannot share enough with you how excited I am to continue forward on sharing these mysteries and these cases with you on this podcast. I promise to get to your case or suggestions as soon as I can. I'm doing my very best. Nonetheless, I am so glad that many of you truly enjoy sitting here for this bit of time every week and enjoy being weird with me as I sit and tell you some of the most fucked up shit I have ever come across. Well, until next time, sweet screams and stay safe. Love you. Saru spoke to me very openly about the Adnan Syed case. You know, he said, yes, well, there is, there is DNA evidence. There's biological evidence. And I said, well, why haven't you tested it? I had his response was, well, it's not, our, it's not our responsibility as prosecutors to test the evidence. If it's going to show that Adnan's guilty, and that there's no question about it, why not test it and just put that evidence out there? And yet he had no interest in doing that.